We're going to be in Colossians, the uh, first chapter. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, if you're using a few Bible, it's page 1083 uh, there. Uh, this epistle here, Colossians, is one of the uh, called, referred to as the prison epistles. There are letters written by Paul while he was a prisoner in Rome. That's where the book of Acts ends. The book of Acts ends really with where what we're part of what we're looking at here. It ends with Paul being a prisoner. He's under arrest uh, in Rome. It ends this way. Acts 28 says, uh, then he stayed two years in his own rented house. And we read that and we think, oh, he was just renting a place in Rome. Well, because they had to provide for themselves. And as he was, you know, he, he was he was there, you know, Paul was the one that stayed two years in his own rented house, had to provide his own, his own. Uh, he was under, it was more than house arrest. Uh, he would have a Roman soldier there with him, uh, guarding him. It goes on, it says, uh, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with full boldness. And without hindrance. Now, he was there because of hindrance. He was there because the Jews uh, stood up and said, this dude's causing problems. He is causing, he is causing trouble. And, uh, you know, you don't want trouble here. You know, I mean, that was the gist of what they were saying to uh, the leaders, not only the Jewish leaders, but the Roman governor of the area. You don't want trouble because you're supposed to, you know, make sure there is no trouble, and he is causing trouble, and so they had him arrested, and he was there. Uh, again, it's more than house arrest. You know, he doesn't have the little beeper on his ankle. <coughs> he has the big guard uh, right there with him, and uh, you know, he, he had to provide for his own day-to-day care. Uh, that was in or out of prison. If you were in prison, you pretty much had to do that same thing. Uh, you know, he's outside of prison, but still under arrest, has to provide for his own day-to-day care. He had more freedom. Uh, he could have visitors into the home there, uh, but he was not free to leave. He was in Rome in his own rented house, not by his own choice. You know, it wasn't his choice to be there. Uh, he was there because he was forced by the Roman authorities to be in Rome. He was taken to Rome by them. He was taken, well, we would say maybe even off the mission field, you know. Uh, He was waiting, you know, it was two years between 61 and 63 A.D. is when uh, this took place. And, you know, he was awaiting trial for two years, you know, dragged out there. And um, but while he was taken out of his missionary travels, he wasn't taken out of ministry. And there's a huge difference there. You know, ministry is what you do. You know, ministry is what is um, how you live, really. I mean, that's what when I say what you do, it's how you live. That's what ministry is. You know, we think of ministry sometimes as what do you do? Well, I, I, you know, I play the trombone and you know, in the, in the church band, or I, um, you know, or I'm a, I'm an usher, I'm a greeter, I'm a deacon. Those are all great and those are all good. But what we need to realize is ministry is more than that. Ministry is what you do. You say, well, what do I do? Yeah, that's it. See, that's, 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 that's it right there. Well, what do I do? It's what you do. 
You know, you, when, when he said in the beginning, he, when, you know, God uh, directed Luke to write in the beginning of Acts, and he says, you, you know, and you will be my witnesses, he's not saying that this is something you can sign up for. What he's saying is, when people know that you are mine, you will be my witness. Not something that's coming, it's something that he's stating a reality that was there. You are my witness. Ministry is what you do. You, it, ministry is, is your witness for God. You know, they'll know, you know, we can say sometimes, that, well, you know, I, I don't have to say anything. They'll just know that I'm a Christian by how I live. You know, well, good for you, but you're probably one of a few ones because, you know what, Jesus thought it was important to use words. And if he thought it was important to use words, I think it's kind of would go along the same fact that we would have to use words. Uh, yes, you need to live as an example. You know, but ministry, ministry is what you do. Mission field is simply where you find yourself doing ministry. So, let me clarify that for you. It's where you live. You see, ministry is is what you do. It's how you live, and your mission field is where you live, wherever it is you're living. You know, whether it's in Fort Wayne, whether it's in South Dakota, whether it's in, you know, Chad, whether it's in Mozambique, whether it's in uh, Decatur, you know, or wherever it is, wherever it is you live, wherever it is you live, that, that right there is your mission field. It's where you do ministry. It is where you do life. You know, that's what it is. It's where you do life. Your ministry is doing life. Your mission field is where you're doing life. Wherever God has you. We had the students and, you know, up here and, you know, those who are leading students, those who are involved in schools or in teaching them and somehow, you know, and in some way. And, you know, I said, when you go past that school, pray, for, you know, remember and think and pray for uh, you know, some of these that, that you saw here. Why? Because, you see, they're, that's their mission field, where they're doing life. I can give you an exact address of your mission field. Let's look at your driver's license. You know, where do you receive mail? There is your mission. Where do you go to work? Where do you go to eat? Where do you... Ministry, ministry is, is what you do, how you live, and your mission field is where you're living, where you're doing it. Well, Paul continues to minister here while he's in prison. <coughs> you know, he may have been uh, under arrest, but he knew where he stood with the Lord. And because he knew where he stood with the Lord, he continued to minister from this new mission field. He continued to minister, he continued to live for God in this new mission field, continued to live for God right where he was. Now, for him, it wasn't a choice. He didn't li- Most of us live where we live by our choice. You know, he wasn't, this wasn't his choice. It wasn't his choice to be in Rome. Uh, he was, in a sense, what we would look at it as and say he was taken off the mission field. No, he wasn't really. His mission field was just changed. God said, you're going from here to Rome instead. You know, and this is what you, you know, this is what you're going to do. So he's, he's ministering here, you know, he's living life in this new mission field. He's living life in this new place where God has him. And he ministered to people who came to him. We're told again in the, in the end of the book of Acts, it says, after, after arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. That's that house he rented. 
Uh, from dawn to dusk, he expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them uh, concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. There's, uh, there's a lot uh, right there. There's a lot being said. We're going to get into that just a little bit more as we look at some of these other verses. Uh, but, you know, so he was ministering to people and he ministered to churches. He ministered to churches through his letter. You know, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, those are the ones that are referred to as the prison epistles. Those are, you know, as his prison letters, because they were written here during this time when he was under arrest. Now, you know, we know that Paul had a, a close personal connection to some of these churches. Uh, he was in Philippi at least twice, we're told, as you read through the book of Acts. You can see where he was, you know, in Philippi, ministered to the Philippians, you know, at least twice. He was in Ephesus for a long, an extended period of time, a couple of years and then you see even uh, later as he's on his way to Rome, he calls for the Ephesian elders and they come and talk to him. You know, and he had this close, close connection with these. Um, but we have no record of Paul ever being in Colossae. There is no record of him ever being there. And it seems the church here was started, you know, possibly by Epaphras. Uh, look down at verse 7 of chapter 1 there in Colossians. It says, You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow slave, He's a faithful servant of the Messiah on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. And it seemed when you read the book of Philemon, it seemed maybe Philemon was possibly um, served as a leader in the church as well. But uh, Epaphras shared his concerns. Look, uh, look at chapter 4 in Colossians there, chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, you know, he shared uh, his concerns about the church with Paul. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave of Christ Jesus, greets you. He is always contending for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. You know, Paul received reports about the church, and so he didn't just stand idly by. He wrote letters here to encourage the church. He wrote letters to, you know, to challenge them and uh, in the letter, he calls them to a renewed appreciation of Jesus as sovereign Lord, as their redeemer. Uh, you know, th- there are many rivalries for that position. There were many rivalries, you know, for that position that were available in, in Colossae, just as there are for us. And he was calling them back to them, urging them to live lives consistent with the full implications of the life they have received in Jesus Christ. With all, he's calling them to pay attention to what it means to have a relationship with Christ and to live even more in what it means to have that relationship with Christ, something we definitely need in our society, you know, something that, 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 that lacks. We live in a bipolar society. We really do. And because what we do, we hyperemphasize the differences between particular groups. You know, when we, and we hyperemphasize those, you know, between the group we are in and, and all other groups. And all other groups are condemned because they're not one of us. And because they're not one of us, you know, then, then they're, they're condemned. We only have extremes, it seems, now in our society. There are no nuances. You know, you, there, there's only, only, you know, extremes there. That's certainly what we're, what's laid out there for us. Uh, and, you know, we begin to emphasize the differences and it causes us uh, to reject what could really help us understand and clarify our own commitment to Christ even more. Because what ends up happening, you know, there's a plethora of opinions there's, and, you know, and stands on everything. 
And we tend to know more about what we stand against rather than what we stand for. We, begin, we, we, we seem to know more about those that we are against rather than the one we are for, than the one we're living for. You know, we lose focus. We find ourselves battling against those other people who are not like us. And because they're not like us, we form opinions and arguments to beat them down. And we get so enamored with the arguments in the stands that we forget, we, we, we don't sometimes even have sight of why we are taking those stands. All we know is we don't like what they're standing for. You know, we focus on why they were wrong. We can't always give a reason why we are right. We can't always give a reason of why Christ matters. That shouldn't be the way it is. You know, we allow ourselves to be pulled into the mud pit because we lose sight of the only solid ground we're standing on. The word of God and commitment to Christ and, and living for him. Our preferences become our guide and we remake God in our own image. We remake God according to our own preferences, our own likes and our own dislikes. You know, and this is not just outside the church. Unfortunately, this is also inside the church. And mysticism, you know, replaces a true relationship with Christ. Because what we do is we, we replace the Bible with quotes from famous people and from, you know, and from books that may actually oppose God. And, and they put these things forth under the facade sometimes, you know, a very sketchy logic or, or pseudo-religiosity. And they make it sound as if it's good, you know, but I, I, be more be more interested in what God actually says than in what. Well, you fill in the blank there for yourself. You know, celebrity preacher or well-known guru or. I don't want to get off on a tangent here, you know, or movie stars or any of this other stuff. You know, it, it, We've replaced the Bible with all of these quotes of all of these other people instead of listening to what God says. Well, the same situation was going on in the Colossian church. And that's the same situation we find ourselves in today. Uh, The bottom line message of Colossians. uh, The bottom line message there, I I think, is that we need to hold firmly to Christ. We need to hold firmly to him rather than be fooled in connections with any other person as a means for our day-to-day living. You see, he is writing to the Colossians and he's writing to us, I believe, as well. And he is challenging our day-to-day living. And what is it, who is it that we are following? You know, what guides this day-to-day living for us? What is or who is the biggest influence on your day-to-day choices? Now we'd all give the Sunday school answer, Jesus. But is that the reality of what is coming out in your life? Is that the reality of how your life is lived? Is that really what's going on? What is, what is, your, what is your most obvious connection in all of the things you post on social media? If all we did was look at all of the things you, you post or, you know, on whatever form of social media you use, even if it's just sitting there around, you know, the, the table, you know, in the break room, whatever it is, 
whatever comes out of your mouth there or, you know, out of your fingers as you're typing, what is the most obvious connection? If we just listed all of those, you know, if, if you know, you use Facebook and we just listed your last 10, 12 posts, you know, if you use Twitter, we just listed, you know, your last 10, 12 twits, uh, whatever it is, whatever, your last 10 or 12 comments that you made to your coworkers, if we just listed those, what would they say is the most obvious thing directing your life? Who is it that you're following? You know, what, what is the hope you express as the most important benefit for our country? Who is the person you most prominently feature in your conversations? Who is the person you most prominently feature with your purchases? You know, who's the, who's the prominent person that you most obviously feature in the use of your time who does that all center around you know to what to whom are you most frequently grasping you know as you search and you respond to the happenings you know what to what's going on in, in our city our state our country in this world that we share with 7.9 billion people what is the most obvious thing where do you stand who do you follow Look at these first couple of verses. We're not going to get any further than that. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers, grace to you and peace from God our Father. You see, Paul knew where he stood. Paul knew who he was following. Paul had been a sworn enemy of the church. He gave his approval to stoning Stephen. He went to the high priest. He swore to them that he would hunt down these followers of Jesus. He would hunt down these people who claimed that Jesus was the Messiah. And he would bring them to punishment. He would bring them, you know, back to Jerusalem with him for punishment under the Jewish law. He wanted these followers of Jesus wiped out. He wanted them completely done away with. He didn't just want them sanctioned. He didn't just want them scolded. He wanted them annihilated. He wanted them them gone and then he met jesus while he's in the middle of a trip to hunt down these you know and bring bring back these christians we looked at that two weeks ago when we were looking in acts chapter nine you know we were looking at some thoughts on prayer uh, now saul was you know he was sincere saul is who he was you know and he changed his name to paul he was sincere but he was sincerely wrong remember you know he gave up trying to accomplish his own agenda, and he came to embrace God's agenda. There was a huge change. And here we are 25 years later, and Paul finds himself in prison now as a follower of Christ Jesus. He was fighting against this. He is now a follower, notice how he words it, of Christ Jesus, Christ the Messiah. He is now a follower of Messiah Jesus. The one who earlier he had dedicated his life to annihilating and ridding the world of all of those who said that Jesus was the Christ, who said that Jesus was the Messiah. And he dedicated himself to ridding the world of them. And here he is now saying, I am one of them. 
He is telling everyone here, you know, he was telling everyone he could that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Jesus was indeed the Christ. He no longer stood where he once stood in opposition to Christ. Now he finds himself following Christ and his response, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will. Standing in God's will is very different than standing in your own will. When he was standing in his own will, he was traveling around hunting down these Christians. He was traveling around hunting down those people. When he was standing in his own will, he was fighting against Christ. And then he came to know Christ. And he was following him now. And here he is now in Rome. Who's leading shows where you are standing. Whose will is leading you and guiding you? Whose will is it that is leading you and guiding you? You know, is it who are you going to follow? You know, who is it that you're following? Is it what you want? Is it your plan? Or how does God impact that? Or is God the one leading? You know, there's a question we have here. Standing in the will of God is, is, it's much better. Now, it's not always easier. I mean, it is not always easier. Here he is. He's in Roman custody awaiting trial. You know, but he, he was still all God made him to be. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. That didn't change because his location changed. That didn't change because he was now opposed. That didn't change because his ministry How he lived, uh, you know, how he lived continued. His mission field changed. Where he was living was, at this point, not by his choice. But he said, you know what? It's by God's will. It's by God's will. You know, and it's, you know, it's it's not always, you know, as much fun. He couldn't do what he wanted to here. He had to submit to the Roman, to the Roman, uh, the, the Roman authorities regarding prisoners. You know, he had to submit to that, but he knew where he was didn't determine God's will. It revealed God's will. Now, because, because he was a prisoner, because he was a prisoner in Rome did not mean he was not in God's will. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. And he says, and Timothy, our brother. Here again, Timothy, he would not have referred to as his brother before. He would have referred to Timothy as his enemy. Why? Because Timothy thought of of Jesus as the Messiah. And before, Paul was against that. And that's what, and here it's changed, you know, and the enemies become friends. You know, Paul, before Paul came to Christ, he would have described Timothy as his enemy. Now, notice, it's not just Timothy. Notice it says, Timothy, our brother. He had new friendships with more than just Timothy. Standing in Christ, when you're standing in Christ, it's building relationships. You know, I stand here and I look around this room and you know what I see? I see people who I have a relationship with. I see a room full of people that I have a relationship with. Now, if I weren't standing in Christ, I would not 
know a single one of you. I didn't grow up here. I didn't even know there was such a place as Fort Wayne. And, and, and now, you know, I look and I see those who God has given me a relationship with. I look now and I see family. I see brothers and sisters more than acquaintances. I see family. Family that is there because we stand in Christ. Because we are in Him. What a gift. What a great gift. Timothy, our brother. And he goes on, he says, to the saints. I like the way the NIV, the 1984 NIV translates this. It says, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ. That is a very good picture of this word that's translated saints in some of the translations. <coughs> that's a very good picture of it. Now, when we hear the word saints, uh, you know, we, we think of these super spiritual individuals, one who stands head and shoulders above others spiritually. Um, the, the Greeks use this word that's translated saints here. They, they use this word to describe one who is set apart for the gods. Remember, they had multiple gods. You know, they had a, a lot of false gods. And, you know, and this it was that word that was used for them. Here, Paul you know, specifies the connection to Christ, not one of the many gods of the Roman culture. He's specifying that it's committed to Christ. So holy is one who is set apart for God. You know, a saint, all those who have set themselves apart you know, for God, those who are transformed by his grace. You know, you might say, but I don't feel very holy. You know, or, or if you would have seen me last night, you know, or, or if you would have heard me this morning, you know, you know, no, no, not a saint, not a holy person. Grasp a hold of this. It's not because of you. It's not because of what you have done that makes you a saint. But it's because of what Christ has done that you are holy. We just celebrated communion, remembering what Christ has done. It's because of what Christ has done that makes us holy, that makes us a saint. You know, know that you are holy. Know that you are a saint in Christ. Set aside by him and for him because of what he has done. Not because of who you are, because of who he is. That's where you stand. You stand as a holy saint in him. You stand as a holy saint for him. In what you do, in how you live, that ministry, how you live, that mission field, where you do it, where you live. And Paul knew that he stood, you know, where he stood. He plainly tells the Colossians, and all of those who have a relationship in saints, they are holy. Holy saints. And all this flows from grace. He brings up grace here, you know, that grace, that, that, that's the gift of God. It's not something we earn, you know. In fact, it's the opposite of earning it. God freely gives it to us. God makes it available to us. He says to them, grace to you. You know, may those good things from God flow to you is what he's saying. You know, may the reality of who God is work in your life more and more. You know, where he calls us to stand. May you experience his power at work in your life, is what he's saying. As you stand in him, you stand in and on his grace. 
We don't come by any merits of our own. We come by the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. We stand there in, you know, by his grace. We are given more than we deserve. You know, he's giving us more than we could ever earn. God's favor working toward us. No merit of our own. Grace tells us we're not alone. Something I read about grace put it this way, and I really liked the way it was. The way it said, it says, grace has connected you to the one whose power and love don't shift with the times. Grace has connected you and me to the one who is the ultimate dwelling place, the ultimate place to which we can run. This means that I am never left to just my own resources. I am never left to figure out and deal with my life on my own. As God's child, I must never see myself as poor or forsaken. I must never buy into the lie that I have no recourse or hope. I must never think that my life is ruled by my difficulty. I must never give way to despondency or despair. Grace has opened the door of hope and refuge to me by connecting me to the one who is eternal. And rules all circumstances and relationships that would cause me to feel alone. It is grace that makes peace possible. It is the grace of God that opens those doors to us. Paul pulls us all together quite well in the letterhead he wrote to the Romans. I just love these verses. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith. Not because of what we've done. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to be something that I'm still searching for. It isn't something that I'm earning. It is something I have the privilege of embracing. The privilege of living in peace with God. I didn't have peace with God when I was doing my own thing. I didn't have that peace with God, but through his broken body and shed blood, he has brought peace to me. He has that, that enmity between between myself and God has been removed because of what he has done. He goes on, he says, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. When we're standing in his grace. You know, the, the first we see of Paul in the Bible, the first we see of Paul in the Bible here, he's trying to find all those who were bold enough to take a stand for Jesus Christ. You know, all those who were bold enough to take a stand as Christ is the Messiah. And the first we see of him is Paul is without peace and he is going after those people. And he wants those people annihilated. He wants those people wiped out. Here we are 25 years later. He's under arrest. Why? Because he was so bold now to tell others about Jesus the Messiah whom he opposed. His life was transformed. He was under arrest in a rented home. But he knew where he stood. He stood in Christ. He knew who he was following. He knew who was leading his life. He knew who was, who was laying out 
how he lived. He knew who was directing where he lived. And he was living for him. Know where you stand. Know where you stand. It is not your circumstances and it is not your situation that defines you. Don't let it. It is not the circumstances. It's not the situation that defines you. It is that relationship with Christ. Know where you stand in Christ, in His will, by His grace, and at peace with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, what is ours because of your gift to us. And that we have peace, not because we deserve it, but because you are a gracious God. And because you give to us out of your abundance. You give to us out of your, the reality of who you are. You give to us what we don't deserve. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the reality of the, of, and the privilege, the honor of being able to stand with you and being able to stand in you. And it's not because of us, but because of you. Help us to understand that now. We're going to leave and we're going to walk out of these doors. But we're not walking out of your grace. We're not walking out of your presence. Help us to remember when we're home today that we are yours And, Father, that how we live is because we are yours. Where we live is where you have placed us to live is yours. Where we stand is in you. Where we stand is not just forgiven, but connected to the God who gave his life so we can live. The one who isn't ashamed to call us his. The Father, continue to call us deeper into this walk with you. Deeper into the reality of standing for you, with you, and living life with you each step of the way. As we continue to open this book, Father, continue to open our hearts to this grace and love that flows from a God who is grace and love. To you be glory in us as you continue that transforming work. Work through us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.